You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I've got my Bible open to Matthew chapter 26. We are continuing in our series, Simply Pray. And I want to dismiss a group of people right now that don't need this message whatsoever. I don't want to waste your time. So all of you that have complete and perfect utter peace, you may now be dismissed. Um, the, this service for people that have some chaos and trouble and sorrow going in their lives. So uh, we'll just take a time right now. Anybody that would like to leave, go. Don't want to waste your time. Oh, so we have people in here that have some conflict and sorrow. Well, fantastic, because we're going to see a story that's going to help people like that. Uh, You know, at the beginning of this series, we kind of gave you some prayer hacks. We wanted to give you some tools, and so we created this little uh, bookmark here, and we gave you kind of a template to pray. We taught you to pray with an open Bible, but then to look for things to pray. And do you remember that we gave you this little outline based on the word pray? We turned it into an acronym, and we said that before you ask God anything, you ought to spend some time adoring Him and ascribing some glory and praise to Him. So the P is for praise. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, hallowed be Thy name. And so before we turn our attention to our needs, we turn attention to His sufficiency, right? God, You are glorious. You are holy. You are kind. You are good. And then the next one is the R. It's repent. And that's where you flip the coin and say, God, everything that You are, I'm not. Not so holy, not so kind, not so gracious. And so, God, I repent. I need you to cleanse me. I bring all of that before you. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace and second chances. I repent. I'm turning towards you right now. Then we get to the A. And the A is for what? Ask. And you can ask God for anything. Uh, Jesus invited us to come and to pray, to seek, to knock, to ask. And he's got great promises for people that come and ask. You can ask God for anything. So let me take a little test right now. How many of you, since we started this series about six weeks ago, you put something down on your prayer list, a big prayer, only God could do it, and you've been asking him to do it, and you have specifically seen an answer to that prayer? Raise your hand if that's you. Keep your hand in the air. Keep your hand in the air. Keep the hand. God answers prayer. Praise God for answered prayer. Now, if you don't have your... Um, Um, hand in the air, one of two things is possible. Either you haven't been asking him, that could be true. We would invite you to come into the process. You can ask God for anything, anything you need and even things you want. Or there may be another problem. You're asking God for something he doesn't want to do. And that's okay. The question is, is that okay with you? that God doesn't bend his will to you. It's okay to ask. Um, I heard about an airline about four years ago. They were doing a big Christmas promotion. This is WestJet Airline. They fly into Canada. And to promote their airline during Christmas time, one of the things that they did is they set a big kiosk up in the terminal. As the passengers came to board the plane, they were asked to simply scan their boarding pass, and then a virtual Santa appeared on the screen. Now, there was a Santa in another room in, uh, behind a camera that was actually interacting with them. And so he said, oh, 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 what do you want for Christmas? 
And these passengers, one by one, began to tell them things that they wanted uh, for Christmas. The little ones were asking for toys and toy trains and baby dolls. The teenagers were asking for iPods and longboards and iPads. And then you got to the men, they were asking for golf clubs and flat screen televisions. There was one elderly grandmother that said, I would simply like a ticket a flight so I could go see my grandchildren that I haven't seen forever. And so they were interacting with Santa. They thought it was a great way to kind of interact with the Christmas spirit there. Well, the passengers boarded the plane and unbeknownst to them, while they were in the air, the employees of WestJet Airlines went shopping and they bought all of the things that these passengers had told Santa they wanted for Christmas. And so at the destination, when the passengers went to the baggage carousel, instead of finding their luggage, what they found were gift-wrapped presents specifically by name for the people that had asked them. Now, how many of you would like to go on that flight for Christmas? I'm like, yeah, let's go on WestJet Airlines, right? Well, that got some attention there. But there was this one guy as people were opening their iPads and they were opening their golf clubs and they were opening their flat screen televisions. There was this guy who only asked for socks and underwear. Now, first of all, can I just make a statement here for a second? Let me step outside of the sermon. This is no longer expository preaching. I just want to make a commentary, okay? First of all, if you give socks and underwear for Christmas, you are lame, all right? You need to upgrade your gift giving, okay? Secondly, here, here's the only thing that's worse than somebody that gives socks and underwear for Christmas is what? The dude that asked for them, okay? When he could have had a flat screen television and all these other things, all he asked for was underwear? How do you think that guy felt when the thing came down the baggage carousel? You know who this guy reminds me of? Me. When I could come before the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who says, from where does your help come? I am the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I can ask big, bold, impossible things. He invites me to ask him for anything. And you should come into the aspect of simply prayer. You, if you are a person without peace this morning, there's good news. You can simply pray that all of your trouble, all of your sorrow, all of your conflict, all of your chaos would disappear. And then once you ask it, there's only one more thing you have to do. Yield. Do you know that most Christians never get to the why in this template? They never get to the yield. And most people stop praying because they ask for stuff and God says, no. And then they quit asking. The only way to peace with God is to yield once you've asked God to do what's on your heart. Yielding means that I bend my will toward God's will and stop using prayer as a tool to bend God's will toward mine.
Here's the big idea of the message this morning. You see, asking is about getting help from God. Go for it. Ask him for anything. We all need help from God. You can ask God for anything. But yielding is about giving up my right to play God. Only God is God. And so we're going to learn from this story here that God, when he doesn't answer my prayers, he's trying to do something deeper in my life. He's trying to confront my will. Most people don't want a God who asks us to yield. We want a God that yields to us. And so here in this story in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to learn some lessons about moving from the place of asking to the place of yielding. Before we do that, here's point number one. We need to keep moving from trouble to transparency. Now we're going to look at a season in the life of Jesus where he was facing big time trouble. Let's pick up the story in Matthew 26, verse 36. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a word that actually means oil press or olive press. It's actually a garden that's still in existence today outside of the east gate of Jerusalem. There is a western slope and it is there where Jesus went to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. I actually was there back in April. I took this picture. You can see me and my friends off in the distance as we were praying. And of course the garden of Gethsemane is surrounded by these ancient olive trees. Uh, the way that you produced cooking oil back in biblical times was you pressed olives and it, it bled these, um, th this olive oil. And so Gethsemane means olive oil press and Jesus was going to be pressed in this garden. Interestingly about these trees, these olive trees, they can live longer than 2,000 years. So we're in the year 2017 2,000 years since Jesus was in the garden praying, it's quite likely that the trees that are there now were there then. Those trees heard the prayer that we're about to see Jesus pray. And so the Garden of Gethsemane is very symbolic for what was going to happen because it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was pressed. And we're going to find out that he actually bled as well. Verse 36, Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So how many disciples went with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane? Anybody know? How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve. How many of them made it to the garden? Eleven, because one of them was a betrayer, and Judas had already left earlier in the chapter. And so these eleven disciples went with Jesus to the place of prayer. But once they went through the gate, Jesus told some of them they couldn't go any farther. And we keep reading here in verse 37, it says, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, we know that that was James and John, Peter, James, and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now it's interesting there in verse 36, he tells eight of these disciples, welcome to the Garden of Gethsemane, you guys sit there, I'm going over here, three of you can come with me. Do you know that 
not every disciple has gone as far as they should in prayer. And this morning, no matter where you are in prayer, maybe you've never prayed at all ever in your lifetime. You just don't believe in it. God can't hear you. He's kind of up there, but doesn't really concern himself with you. Could I invite you to go a little farther in prayer? For some of you, you've gone a long way. Maybe you've even made it to the Garden of Gethsemane in a spiritual sense. But Jesus invites you to go even farther with him. So the first step in prayer is moving from the place of trouble to the place of transparency. It was interesting as Jesus faced this trouble, the trouble that he was facing was in just a few hours, he was going to be hanging on a cross. That was the sorrow and the trouble. He knew what was coming. And so just 24 hours before that, he chose to let the trouble drive him to the place of prayer. But even in that, he didn't want to pray alone. He wanted the disciples, at least some of them, to come with him, taking with him Peter, James, and John. They were allowed to enter into his sorrow and trouble. Can I ask you this question? When you are facing a lack of peace, trouble, you're deeply sorrowful, you're deeply burdened. Who do you have that is willing to go with you to the place of prayer? Are you thinking of a name? Somebody outside of your family? Listen, if you can't think of a name right now, you need better friends. And you need to be in a small group of people that know how to pray. Because one thing is certain, pretty soon you're going to be troubled. You're going to be facing sorrow and you do not want to be isolated during that time. Jesus didn't want to be isolated during that time. So he takes his three closest disciples and says, guys, I need you to go with me in the place of prayer. Now, let me ask that question another way. Are you willing to go with someone? when they are in trouble, when they are deeply sorrowful, when they are facing their greatest hurt, when they can't figure life out, when they are a mess, who actually thought of you when I asked that earlier question? Are you a good prayer partner? Are you someone that, that you've, you've not just come in the gate, but you know how to pray somebody through the most difficult seasons of their life? If you haven't, it's probably because you're wearing a mask, you're unwilling to get open and honest, you're, willing, you're unwilling to be vulnerable about what your true needs really are, and you're unwilling to, to allow somebody else to invite you to that place in prayer. And so be a better prayer partner. Listen, you need to go further in your praying. These guys were kind of stopped at the gate. He asked these other three guys to go a little further. I don't know about you, but when, when I first started praying, just baby steps, maybe you're a brand new Christian, maybe you're just starting to figure this thing out. You, our prayers tend to sound like this. Give me. That's, that's kind of the first step. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And you're like, well, that's kind of shallow and kind of selfish. And then my prayers kind of turned into phrases like this. Help me. Help me, I'm a mess, and really what I need is your grace, and I need more of you. Just help me, help me, help me. But even that, just, it's like I can grow. I, I, and you take another step, it's like, Lord, use me. Use me. Now that I've got some spiritual muscle, and, and I want you to use me in the lives of others. 
But you know what the final step in your maturity in prayer is? Is when you pray this, Lord, it's not about me. It's not give me, help me, use me. It's not about me. That's where Jesus went in prayer. Can you come a little farther in prayer? Do you understand that in order to deal with your trouble, you have to be honest with God about it? I want you to see it here. Look in verse 38. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. Verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Did Jesus have a will? Did he have a will of his own? He sure did. And in his humanity, Jesus asked God not to allow him to face what he was about to, to face. He asked God to remove the trouble, to lift the sorrow, to change the circumstances, to divert his path. It says that he asked God, let this cup pass. I don't like the assignment you've been given me. I don't want to drink what's in the cup. God, is there any other way? Is there somebody else? He pleaded with God to change his assignment. Because you can ask God anything. But then it says, very famous phrase, not as I will, but as you will. Do you understand? You can ask God for anything, but eventually you have to yield to God in everything. What is this thing called a will? Did you know that you have a will? What, what is a will? Very simply, it's what you use to decide what you will and you will not do. Everybody gets to decide. And you can be completely transparent about what's going on in your will. I don't know if you saw it this week. There was a tweet on Twitter that went viral. There was a mom that actually ratted out her kid a little bit. And she had a six-year-old kid. He went to school one day. And the teacher in his first grade class gave him an assignment. She said, I want you to write a, a, a letter to Santa Claus. Well, the kid, I guess, was not a fan of Santa Claus. And so this is what he wrote. That's what he wrote. That's what he says. Dear Santa, I'm only doing this for class. I know your naughty list is empty and your good list is empty. In fact, your life is empty. You don't know the trouble I've had in this life. Goodbye. Love, I'm not telling you my name. I like that kid. He has serious doubts about this Santa Claus character, right? Now, listen, I like this kid because I don't believe in Santa Claus, okay? Now, I don't mean that I don't believe that Santa Claus exists. That's another subject. I don't believe in Santa Claus. He doesn't inspire me. 
who is this guy that's got some list and he's like taking grades on everybody and puts everybody in categories and the kids on the bad list, you don't get any gifts, but the kids that are good, then you get gifts. That is not a Santa Claus of grace. Now listen, two problems. Number one, if you have a theology of God like Santa Claus, you're, you're in trouble because that, God, that is not the God of the Bible. And yet, you spend most of your life, some of you spend most of your life trying to get on God's good list so that when you pray, He'll answer your, 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 your prayer request. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is this. He actually does have a list. It's the naughty list. Your name's on it. Everybody's name's on it. There's not any names on the good list but one. His name was Jesus. It's not even a list, it's just Jesus. And then everybody else is on the other list. You're naughty. And yet, here's the good news. God wants you to bring Him all of your trouble. He wants you to bring Him all of your sin. He wants you to bring Him all of your, sin, all of your temptation. And if you will bow your knee, if you will bend your will toward God, He will treat you as if you were on the good list, even though he knows you're not. That's the God of the Bible. That's why I believe in God and not believe in Santa Claus, because it's a far superior way of dealing with me who's on the naughty list every day. So we need to understand something. We've got to stop covering our sin. We've got to quit pretending like we're not naughty. We keep moving from trouble to transparency. We are in trouble with God. And we are facing trouble and a lack of peace and all kinds of chaos in our lives. And God invites you to come. Just bring it all to Him. But eventually, after you've asked Him to change your circumstances, you have to yield your will to the will of God. Let your trouble drive you to God. Don't pretend like you're better off than you really are. After you've asked Him to remove your sorrow, Yield to Him in everything. Prayer is not a way to get God to do what you want. It's about getting our wills aligned so that God can do what He wants in and through your life. Keep moving from trouble to transparency. Secondly, keep moving from temptation to prayer. Look at verse 40. And He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And what were they supposed to be doing, by the way? Praying. So instead of praying, they were sleeping. And he said to Peter, interestingly, James and John were sleeping too, but he talked to Peter. Because apparently Peter was the ringleader of the sleepers. So he says, hey, Peter, um, <clears throat> uh, so could you not watch with me one hour? Uh, there's just not a great way to say that. It's, you know what Jesus is doing? He's confronting Peter's will. Apparently, your will is not bent toward my will because you're sleeping. I ask you to be praying. And then he goes on and says this in verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, interestingly, Jesus turns his attention from the trouble and the sorrow that he, and the test that he's about to face, and he turns it to Peter. 
And he says to Peter, I don't need you to be praying because somehow I need help. You should be praying because you need help. Jesus knew what Peter was about to face. He was about to face the two greatest tests of his life. You know what's getting ready to happen here in about 10 minutes? The rest of the story, here's the way it goes. Uh, After this whole episode of praying and the night of prayer, what happens is the Roman soldiers show up to arrest Jesus. Now, at that point, Peter wakes up because Peter is more interested in fighting than he is yielding in prayer. Now, it's amazing. When Jesus asked him to pray, he couldn't stay, stay awake. But when there was a good fight to be had, Peter's like, I'm all in. I'm totally awake, right? And that's what happens. If you don't pray, you end up fighting. So this is what Peter does. It's kind of comical to even think of, okay? So here the the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Peter wakes up and steps in between the soldiers and Jesus. Because after all, who else in the universe needs more help than God to defend himself? So Peter jumps in between and he pulls out his lightsaber, no, pulls out his sword and, um, and he's trying to defend God, okay? And he's a bad aim and so he's trying to cut off his guy's head and he cuts, cuts off his ear and Jesus is like, no, 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 picks up the ear, slaps it back on. Can you hear me now? Yeah, okay. So it, it, like, Peter, you're not learning the lesson. I don't need you to help me. I need you to pray for yourself. So he fails the first test. He stands up when he should have yielded. And then in a few hours, do you know what Peter's about to do? He's going to face his second temptation. This little sixth grade girl walks up to Peter and says, you look familiar. I think you're with that guy named Jesus. What? Not me. Not me. I'm just this. I'm just this weak little, I'm kind of got to. He stands down when he should have stood up. And that's what happens when people don't pray. You do the opposite of what you should do in the situation when you are tempted. Now, Jesus said, you've got to be praying because the temptation is coming. Listen, the time to pray is not in the temptation. The time to pray is before the temptation. How much temptation did you yield to this week because you didn't pray last week? If you'd been praying last week, you wouldn't have fallen to the temptation this week. That's why you've got to be praying instead of sleeping. So keep moving from temptation to praying. And here's the last thing. Keep moving from asking to yielding. Look at verse 42. Again, For the set, oh, I forgot to mention something back in verse 41. Can I just mention something? Sorry, rewind. Do you see in verse 41, there's this classic phrase that Christians seem to really embrace this phrase. I think it's because we're always looking for a good excuse for sinning. Here's the phrase. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
You see, I really wanted to be following God with urgency, intensity. I really wanted to be praying. I really did want to come to church this morning. I'm now not speaking to any of you that actually came to church, but we have an internet audience. And so I, I know what happened this morning. You got six inches of snow. And you had to get out there and plow the driveway and dust the snow off. And it's like the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. I didn't want to look at that pornography, but the spirit was willing and the flesh is so weak. I really wanted to love my husband, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We use that as an excuse. Can I just strip that excuse away from you for a moment? You have something Peter didn't have. The Holy Spirit. Jesus knew the spirit was willing, but he knew the spirit didn't yet have Peter. But when the Spirit has Peter, the Spirit is stronger than your really strong flesh. The problem is not the weakness of your flesh. The problem is the strength of your flesh. Because over in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul taught us that if you will yield to the Spirit, you will not yield to the temptations of the flesh. And so the problem is not the weakness of your flesh. The problem is your flesh is so strong. And you've got to be filled with the Spirit, which we now have access to because Jesus left us the Spirit as the helper so that we can yield our flesh to the Spirit. And so um, no more excuses. I was, just so, I was just so willing, but the flesh got me. Yeah, you got the Holy Spirit a lot, lot stronger than your flesh. So here's the third thing. Keep moving from asking to yielding. Verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. Pause. Now, don't, don't read too fast through Scripture here. Do, do you realize what that just said? For the second time, Jesus went to pray. Why did he go the second time? Because the Father chose not to answer the prayer of Jesus the first time. So Jesus says, I'm not giving up. I'm going again to ask the Father. And it says, he went for a second time, and he, this is what he prayed. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time. Why did he pray the third time? Should be catching on by now. Because the father chose not to answer the prayer of Jesus the second time. How many of you think that Jesus had powerful prayer life? How many of you think that the father bent his ear when his son prayed? think Jesus had power with his father? And yet Jesus was praying a prayer that the father chose not to answer. So after the asking one time, two times, three times, what's left to be done? Yielding. Keep moving from asking to yielding. And it says, he said the same words again. You can bring your prayer over and over and over. It's okay. 
But once you've said the same words over and over and over, you have to yield your will to God. What were these same words he was saying over and over? We found them for the first time back up in verse 39. And here, here's, here's the phrase. Let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. That's what was causing the sorrow. That's what was causing the trouble. Jesus was looking on the inside of this cup. And what he saw on the inside of this cup was terrifying to him. It was troubling him. And he's like, God, I don't want to drink what's in the cup. So here's the question for us. It's not actually answered in the passage. What was on the inside of this cup. Let's see if we can find any help from the Old Testament. First of all, Isaiah 51 verse 17 says this, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath. Jeremiah 25 verse 15, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath. Do you know what was on the inside of that cup? The wrath of God for every person who has ever sinned, who would ever believe. Do you know what happens every time you sin? You put another drop in the cup of God's wrath. The next time you're tempted to sin, why don't you take a look in the cup? That's what Jesus was looking at as he was asking God to take it away. Do I have to drink it? I don't want to drink it. Is there any other way? Is there someone else? God, can, you just, can I just spill it over? Do I have to completely drink it? Could I just take a sip? Do I have to drink all of it? That was the wrestling match that was going on with his father. He didn't want to drink what's in the cup. Because inside of it was the anger and the hatred and the fury of a holy God towards sin. Do you have room in your theology for a God who gets angry at sin? You say, I have room for a God that gets angry at everybody else's sin. I get angry at everybody else's sin. No. Do you have room in your theology for a God that gets angry at your sin? It's actually good news. It is good news that God gets angry at sin. You say, but I just want to believe in a God of love and kindness and grace, and He's just going to make everything great. Listen, the opposite of God's love, the, the opposite of God's Anger is not love. The opposite of God's anger is indifference. That he doesn't care. He's unconcerned with evil in the world. We have a God that is so concerned, he doesn't ignore a single ounce of sin, evil, and unholiness. Do you know what the Bible says he does? He stores up his wrath in a cup. And because God loves us so much, Jesus drank it. 
we have a wonderful staff around here. We all get along really great, and we, we joke and have a, a great time. But, but if, if, if you want to create some strife in the office, don't drink from somebody else's coffee cup. This, this is a source of conflict among our staff. Over here in the kitchen, there's a cupboard and, and there's a collection, of all kinds of assorted coffee mugs. Many of them um, we found in here. Thank you for your do donation <laughs> to the Coffee Mug Society. We, we love drinking from your cups, but, but every now and then somebody gets a nice mug or something and, and they, it's got their name on it and they bring it in, but you know they leave it around here. The other day, Micah had a nice Yeti coffee mug or whatever, and Tyler found it laying over in a, a room somewhere, so he adopted it into his collection and drank from it from three or four weeks until Micah came in and saw him drinking it from his cup. Micah did not like the fact that Tyler was drinking out of his cup. And there's, pray for our staff. We, <laughs> we, we have issues. Do you understand that you have a cup that has your name on it. And inside that cup is all of the wrath and the hatred that God has for your wickedness, your sin, your unfaithfulness, every carefully concealed lustful thought, every impure motive, every area of deceit, every unfulfilled family responsibility, every time is another drop that goes into the cup. And somebody's got to drink it. Either you will drink it eternally, separated from God in a place called hell, or if you will yield your will to Jesus Christ, He will willingly drink it for you. That's what was happening in the Garden of Eden. And He said, God, let this cup pass. I don't want to drink it. It tastes so bitter. I don't know if I can take it. He wrestled with God and he asked and he pleaded until finally he yielded his will and he said, God, it is not about my will. It is about your will. Let your will be done. And in doing so, Jesus provided a pattern for us in prayer. If you never get to the yielding aspect of prayer, you will miss everything God wants to do in your life. What do you need to yield to God today? What have you been asking Him for, demanding Him for, that He has said, no, you're not going around this, you're going through it. Maybe you need to stop asking God to make your path easier. Maybe you need to start asking God to make you stronger. Do you, need to, do you need to yield your life to God for the very first time? Listen, you become a Christian with an initial forever act of yielding. It's not about this sentimental, I'm just kind of in the flow and God's going to be good to me. No, God's not going to be good to you because you're going to drink your cup of wrath unless you yield to Jesus as Lord. Maybe today for the very first time, he's like, ah, oh, it clicked. I got it. I'm, I'm so tired of trying to manufacture my own goodness and get on the good list. And I realize I, I'm never going to get off the naughty list. Because, and I, 
Listen, yield your will to Jesus Christ for the first time. And that begins a lifetime of yielding your will. Do you need to yield your reputation to God? Do you need to yield your right to be right? Do you need to yield your right to be understood, your right to be loved, your right to be obeyed, your right to be respected? Do you need to yield your right to understand, to have the answers to all of your questions? Do you need to yield your right to be married? Do you need to yield your right to be single? Do you need to yield your right to live where you want to live and work where you want to work and go to school where you want to go to school? Do you need to yield your right to spend your money the way that you want to spend your money? Do you want to yield your right to make more money? Do you want to yield every aspect of our life comes down to getting beyond asking and moving to yielding?